So you probably know or have noticed that today is both Easter and April Fool's Day, and I, I love that. I've been thinking about that a lot for weeks, um, and uh, what, a, uh, what a combination uh, to have Easter and, uh, and April Fool's Day uh, coincide together. And, um, you know, I think about April Fool's uh, and, and how we prank each other and we try to uh, make fools out of each other, and a few years ago... Um, a few years ago, uh, when we had three, three children, we have four now, but uh, Sonda and I thought we would be really cute. It was about five years ago. We sat down our, our three daughters, and we said, hey, guys, it's April 1st. We said, hey, guys, uh, guess what? Uh, we're having a baby. Y'all are going to have a little brother. And, you know, we thought we, you know, we were done having kids or were no more kids. And, and they were like, what? No, you're not. And, yeah, we are. And then we got them April Fools, and we all laughed and laughed. And, um, uh, and then... A couple weeks later, Sonda came to me and said, hey, Matt, I got to talk to you about something. Hey, we, we really are. We really are pregnant. And I was like, babe, maybe you don't know how this thing works, but you can only do that like one time. You don't keep it going all month long, you know. But we were. And so the joke kind of ended up being on us, you know. And, and uh, then we sat down the kids to tell them again. And they're like, come on, guys, you know. We're... And uh, I don't think they actually believed us until they held Ethan at the hospital. But, um, but yeah, we, th- that's a funny April Fool's. Um, but most of the time, our idea of being a fool um, is, uh, is, is not funny. Uh, for the most part, we hate that feeling of, of being foolish, don't we? Um, we hate the feeling, I know I do, I hate the feeling of being mocked or being a fool, feeling foolish. And, and for the most part, we structure our lives in such a way where we don't have to feel foolish. We structure our lives in such a way where we don't feel ashamed. Um, we go to great lengths to avoid ever feeling like a fool. Um, and so in some form or another, I believe in our efforts to escape feeling like a fool, we, in some form or other, we take a seat onto the throne of our lives. And we say, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel foolish. I don't want to feel shame. And the only way I can avoid feeling shame is if I sit here in this throne and I run my life and I construct my life in such a way where I don't ever have to feel like a fool again. You know, lately, I have been that voice that says, you're a fool, uh, you, you, what are you even doing? Why are you even trying? That voice has been heavy in me and I suspect and it's been heavy with some of you as well and as I've talked to some of you, that voice that says, man, uh, what's the point? Are we familiar with that voice? What's the point? Why are you even trying? You know? You're, 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 you're a fool for even trying, whether it's your marriage, your ministry, your job, or whatever, all, you know, the, all of the above. And, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is full of meaning. And uh, it's full of meaning, and, and, and one powerful truth of the resurrection is that he has overcome death and overcome all the powers of evil that had held us in bondage. And, and uh, we, today, we think about the truth of the resurrection, that he died, he rose, now I can, go, I can live forever and go to heaven. And that is powerfully true, and that's beautifully true. But the truth that the early church most celebrated was Christ has won this victory over all the evil forces that had kept us enslaved. And, 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 and the, the early church made a really big deal that the resurrection, Christ mocked evil. At the resurrection, Jesus made a fool out of evil. Evil thought that it had made a fool out of God. And evil threw a party. And at the resurrection, Jesus made a fool out of evil. And what I, what I want you to hear this morning is that because Jesus made a fool out of evil, evil has lost its power to make a fool out of you. 
Because Jesus has made a fool out of evil, evil has lost its power to make a fool out of you. So let's kind of zoom out for a second, and, and let's just remind ourselves, we are all part of a really big story. I'm part of a big story, you're part of a big story, and the surprising thing is that that big story uh, isn't all about us. Uh, that big story, in that big story, I'm not the main uh, attraction. I'm not the star of the show, and neither are you. There's this big story that we're all part of, that we're all caught up in, and that story is about this creator and redeeming God. And this good God, a long time ago, created a good world. And he created us, humans, uh, men and women, he created us in his image, to bear his image, and to spread. He gave us a mission, he gave us relationship with himself, and he gave us a mission to spread his glory over this earth. But what happened was we got tricked. When the ultimate April Fool's joke was played on us, we believed a lie. And we still, all these years later, we're still tempted by that same lie. We believed that God was making a fool out of us, that God was holding back on us. And we believed that fulfillment could be found in taking the throne of our own lives. We believed that fulfillment could be found in sitting on the throne of our own lives. And evil, once evil got that hook in us, evil made a fool out of us. And evil has been making a fool out of us ever since. We kept sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into our foolishness. Now, we're talking about Adam and Eve, but we're not just talking about Adam and Eve, right? Does this story sound familiar to anybody? We sank deeper and deeper and deeper into our foolishness. And we kept designing our lives in such a way we'd never feel foolish again. And we refused. We hunkered down. We refused to step off the throne. But God kept pursuing. So God calls this man named Abram and says, I'm going to make a family out of you. Way back in Genesis 12, God calls this man named Abram and says, I'm going to make a family out of you. And through you and through your family, all the nations are going to be blessed. And you're going to be a light to the nations. And the problem was... Abram and his family, they were infected with the same disease as everybody else. They were part of the problem and they were part of the solution. They were fooled by evil too. And so God sent prophets and truth tellers to this people to call them back to himself. And finally, after not listening to the prophets, after not listening to the truth tellers, God came to us in the flesh. He became one of us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And we were so attached to our throne. And we were so scared of losing our throne. And in all of our infinite wisdom, we nailed the one perfect innocent one to a cross and watched him die. Evil rejoiced. Evil had been, had been mocking us and making a fool out of us for millennia, but now evil had made a fool out of God. Can you just imagine the party as as, as Jesus hung and died on the cross and as he laid in a tomb. Ha! This God thought that he could lay down his life for them. This God thought that he could come and do any good with them. Man, he should have stayed where he was. He should have known that these people weren't going to listen to him. What kind of God would lay down his life for these people? And then something unexpected happened. We know where the story's going. And we've heard the story so many times, it, it doesn't even affect us anymore. But something unexpected happened. And sometimes we think about the resurrection and we think, well, oh, these people, I mean, it was 2,000 years ago. I mean, they, people were a lot dumber then. They probably just believed Jesus rose from the dead. Look, people knew about death 2,000 years ago, okay? They knew that once you died, you were dead. They knew that. And we, we've gained a lot of ground scientifically, but they knew that once you were dead, you were dead. And they were not expecting Jesus to, 
to rise again. And this story that Jesus has risen, it was just as wacky and crazy sounding then as it is now. But Jesus rose. And that good news that he died and he rose, that, that, that the good news is that Jesus is the king. He's the king. The good news isn't just we get to live forever, although that's awesome. The good news is that Jesus is the king now. He is the fulfillment of that story of Israel. He's the fulfillment of every human heart. And just when evil thought it had made a fool out of Jesus, Jesus made a fool out of evil. And because Jesus made a fool out of evil, evil does not have to keep making a fool out of you. That story, that big story, finds its climax in in, in Luke 24. On that first day, you read about this earlier. Sonda, I believe, read this earlier. And on that first day, the women went to the tomb. Uh, Mary and, and, uh, and, and Joanna, they went to the tomb and others, and they, they went to anoint Jesus' body, and they found the stone rolled away. And they found that it was empty, and two angels appeared to them. They said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? And they went, I love this, these women went, and they preached the gospel, they preached the good news of the resurrection to this room full of frightened men. And the men said, you know what, that does have the ring of truth to it. That sounds exactly what Jesus told us over and over was going to happen. No, the men said, this is foolish talk. They said, we're not going to believe these idle tales. In other words, we're not going to believe this foolishness. And so Peter goes, he says, I'll check it out. He runs ahead, he finds the grave empty. Down in verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. The first post-resurrection word from Jesus is peace. You don't have to live in shame anymore. Shalom has been restored. But they were startled and they were scared and they thought they saw a ghost. Uh, and, and I mean, he's told them how many times he's going to die, he's going to rise. And this is just like us. This is one of the ways we know the resurrection story is true. Is if these guys made this up, like they probably would have made themselves look a little smarter. Okay? Um, they were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And that may be the question the resurrected Christ is asking each of us this morning. I know you're troubled. I know you're upset. I know you're worried about your family or your mom or your dad or your kids or your marriage or your neighbor or your health. I know you're worried. He said, I know you're troubled. But look at me. The resurrected Son of God is at your side. See my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. And they touched him. Now, now this is how we know Jesus isn't Casper the friendly ghost. This isn't an apparition. This isn't a hallucination. He's not a phantom. He is bodily, physically resurrected. Um, before them. And he doesn't say, hey guys, uh, one day we're all going to be spirits up here on a cloud playing harps. No, he is the first. He's the first resurrected, glorified one. He's bodily risen, just like each of us, everybody that knows Christ will be bodily transformed and risen and this whole universe will be made new and he is the first fruits of that. He says, you got any fish? And he eats some fish. And I'm so glad to know that we're going to eat, that resurrected bodies can eat. Aren't you glad to know that? I'm glad to know that. And he took an eight, verse 43, before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he's fulfilled all of it with his death and his resurrection. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Will you just pray that when you sit down with the word of God? God, open my mind. To understand the scripture. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. He gives them a mission. 
He says relationship has been restored. God has chosen, because of the sacrifice, the death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has chosen to forgive rebels who sit on the throne of their life. And he gives those rebels, those forgiven rebels, the mission that was our mission all the way in the beginning to take the glory of God and spread it over the world to tell everybody we encounter that forgiveness can be found, restoration can be found in Jesus. Proclaim it to everybody. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That's where we're going to pick up next week. He doesn't send us to do our mission by ourselves, but he clothes us with the Spirit. You're part of a big story. The story finds its climax in the resurrection of Jesus as he is enthroned as the king of the universe. New creation has begun. So our question today is, what kind of fool are you going to be? Because I believe every one of us is one kind of a fool or another. What kind of fool are you going to be? Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And Corinth was a very uppity kind of place. It was a place where people were scholarly and they loved to sit around and talk about ideas and politics and ethics and theology. And they judged the the, um, message by how eloquent the messenger was. They judged the truth and the value of a message based on how eloquent the messenger was. Aren't you glad that church folks don't do that? Aren't you glad we don't judge the value of the message based on how eloquent the messenger was? But, but Corinth, they judged how, how true is this based on how eloquent and persuasive is this guy. And, and they wanted to make heroes and celebrities out of these speakers and talkers that could string sentences together. And Paul in Corinthians 1 says, I went to great lengths. When I went among you, I didn't go talking with a bunch of persuasive talk. I went with a stripped-down message of Christ crucified. Christ and His cross. And, and, and 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 18. For the word of the cross, he said, is folly or it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, we have been saved, we will be saved. But he says, right now you are being saved. It is the power of God. The cross sounds like foolishness to one group of people. But the cross is the power, the message of the cross is the power of God for salvation to another group of people. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of discerning. I will thwart, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block, a scandal to Jews, and foolishness or folly, idiocy to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God. And the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul came to the city of Corinth, this place that prided itself on its wisdom, prided itself on its great eloquent speakers, and he preached a message, and he knew how crazy that message sounded. He proclaimed the message that the true king of the universe was a crucified rabbi and carpenter from a backwater corner of the Roman Empire. And that crucified 
carpenter turned rabbi had done what no one else had ever done. He had risen from the dead, not to die again later, but to live forever and to be enthroned as the king of the universe. And he was calling people to be part of his new creation work here, now, and forever. Paul knew how crazy that message sounded. It sounded crazy then, and it sounds crazy now. It's the craziest message anybody could have imagined. The cross, Paul talks here about the foolishness of God, the foolishness of men, the wisdom of men, the wisdom of God, and how God's foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. The cross exposes how far human wisdom will get you. See, all of our cumulative, collective human wisdom conspired together and unanimously voted to nail the perfect, innocent one to the cross. Human wisdom crucified Jesus. And the cross exposes our wisdom as foolishness. In the cross, God has confronted the world, this world that we live in, a power grabbing and chest beating and word twisting. He's exposed our wisdom for foolishness. And at the cross and the resurrection, He has overthrown evil and He has inaugurated, He has begun new creation. And He's instituted a kingdom where the weak and the foolish and the sinful are welcome. And where lives are transformed just by hearing this message. See, some people in Corinth, just like now, they heard the message of the cross, Christ crucified and risen, and they yawned. Some rolled their eyes. Some said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is a fairy tale. But some people, even though they couldn't explain it, their hearts were torn in two. And addictions fell away from them. And their marriages were restored. And their relationships with their children were restored. And nothing was ever the same again. And there's people in this room that have heard this message so many times that you don't even hear it anymore. And you say, yeah, 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 I know about that. Where's some fried chicken? And there's some of us in this room that are here because somebody drug you here. And and you said, you know what, I'll go just a little shut up about that. And there's some of you here that are here every week. And you've forgotten the power of this message. And there's some of us that are here. And this message has gripped us and is gripping us, and this message can grip you, I, will, I invite you to be foolish enough to believe that the message of Christ crucified and risen is the message in which God's power works and moves to set people free. I would invite you to be so foolish to believe that this message of the gospel, that Jesus is the King, crucified, risen, and returning, that that message is where God's power moves to restore your marriage. Your marriage needs more than anything else. Your marriage needs the gospel. Your heart, more than anything else, needs the gospel. Will you be foolish enough to walk into your dysfunctional school, your dysfunctional family, your dysfunctional workplace, and say, I have the message that will set anybody free, the message that Christ is crucified, Christ is risen. Will you always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. So what kind of fool are we going to be? Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The Old Testament defines a fool as somebody who lives as though God doesn't exist. Did you know that there's a lot of Christian fools running around? 
There's a lot of atheists running around who call themselves Christians. I walked an aisle, I said a prayer, and all that was good. And, and, and maybe I go to church on Sunday. Maybe I do a lot of good things. But I live my day-to-day life as though everything is on me and as though I am seated on the throne of my life. There's a lot of uh, Christian fools and non-Christian fools. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. It's up to me. I've got to sit on the throne of my life. Uh, 75 years ago, the scholar H.A. Ironside was preaching. He said, friend, face it honestly for yourself. Are you one of the devil's fools? Or are you willing to be a fool for Christ's sake? Man, I've been a fool for the devil. And I've been a fool for myself. Is anybody sick of that? Is anybody sick of being a fool for you? Is anybody sick of doing the same old junk over and over and over and over again and expecting things to work out differently? Is anybody sick of going to the same old well, whether it's a sin well or a habit well or whatever well it is, and looking for refreshment there but not finding it? Is anybody wise enough to admit that you're a fool? I'm a fool? Is there anybody that's tired of sitting on your throne of your life, and you say, you know what? I am doing a really poor job. You know, I'm good at a few things, but I make a terrible king. I make a terrible lord. I make a terrible throne sitter. What kind of fool will I be? My sin made me a fool for evil, and evil laughed at me day and night. But the grace of God can make me a fool for Christ. The grace of God can make you such a fool for Christ that hell and evil trembles. Who's willing to be a fool for Christ? And a fool for Christ walks out of step with this world. And sometimes a fool for Christ even walks out of step with the church. A fool for Christ walks out of step with this world. And sometimes a fool for Christ even walks out of step with the church. So what are some beliefs or practices that seems so out of step with this world and maybe even out of step with the church that seems so foolish it's not, point, it's not, it's not worth even trying. Um, I think about Jim Elliott, missionary who was martyred in 1956, taking the gospel to Ecuador. And earlier in his life, he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. I think about George Mueller who spent... Uh, his whole life in the 1800s, preaching the gospel multiple times a week, caring for orphans, caring for the vulnerable, pouring everything he had for those that could not pay him back. I think about the Apostle Paul. A lot of people call Paul a fool. He turned away from a good, steady, religious life. And he says in Philippians 3, beginning of verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection of of the dead. Paul says, I have considered everything I've ever accomplished, every wicked thing I've ever done, every dirty thing I've ever done, every great success that I'm tempted to be proud of, I consider it all trash compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. Nothing compares 
to knowing Christ. What kind of fool will you be? Man, I'm sick of being a fool for me. I'm sick of being a fool for evil. What's it look like to be a fool for Christ? What's it look like to be so out of step and out of sync with others that they think you're a fool? In, in Luke 24, when Jesus came to his disciples, he spoke that word of peace, that word of shalom, and then he told them that they had a message to share, and that message was that in Christ, God had offered them forgiveness, and that they could share that forgiveness with others. How foolish is it to forgive? God forgives in Christ because new creation has dawned, and the debts have been paid. How foolish is it to believe that God could forgive your sins and that God would call you to forgive those who've hurt you? That God would call you to lay down keeping score? How foolish is it to trust God? Well, a lot of good He's done me so far. How foolish is it to trust? Will you be fool enough to trust that God is, is going to lead you into your next step? Will you be a fool enough to trust Him? Will you be a fool enough to pursue holiness? even if it doesn't make any sense and even though nobody is? Will you be a fool enough to say, I'm going to be sexually pure even though nobody around me is and I'm not doing it just to keep a rule. I'm doing it because God's worthy and because He loves me and He gave Himself for me and I, I know there's something even so much beautiful waiting for me ahead. Will you, will you, will you be fool enough to, be, uh, to, to, to lay down greediness and take up generosity instead? Will you be a fool enough to give as been given to you? Will you be a fool enough to love? Will you love your neighbor? Will you love your enemy? Will you be fool enough to grieve that this world isn't as it should be? And rather than getting mad, rather than stomping your feet, rather than making your fist, will you grieve the brokenness of this world? And in your tears, will you be fool enough to cry out to God to do something to awaken us? Will you be fool enough to, in the midst of grief, will you embrace joy that God has done something? That he's made you and he's made all of us and he has died and he has risen and we can taste joy here and now. At the cross, Jesus dealt with sin. By the way, we're not going to do all those things because we're good or because we tried really hard. We do those things because Christ does something miraculous within us as we sink our roots in the gospel. At the cross, Jesus dealt with sin. Sin is what kept me bound up. And sin is what kept you bound up in our foolishness. Stop doing the same stuff over and over and over. Sin kept us bound up in our idolatry. Sin kept us strapped into the throne of our lives. But at the resurrection, Jesus broke the spell. And the joke isn't on you. You're not the punchline anymore. Satan is the punchline. And he's made you where you don't have to be mocked by evil anymore. But you can mock evil to its face by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the forgiveness that He extends. By the rescue that He offers. You can be free from being a fool for evil and free to be a fool for Christ now and forever. You're free to live out the relationship and the mission He always had for us. Jesus has made a fool out of evil. Evil has lost its power to make a fool out of you. You don't have to live in your shame anymore. You don't have to live weighted down anymore. The first step... Um, as the band comes up and gets ready, the first step to that changing is will you take a step off of your throne? That's the next step for anybody in this room. If you know Christ and you've been knowing Him, but maybe you've gotten 
locked into your own way of doing things. Christ, I believe, this morning invites you to step off the throne of your life. If you don't know Him, and you've been running your life, maybe you say, you know what, I'm doing a pretty good job. Awesome. Let's talk about it in five years. Maybe, maybe you'll be ready then. But if you're running your life now, and you're like me, and, and you're not doing a good job running your life, say, man, it's time for me to step off my throne. It's time for me to step down, open up my hands, say, Jesus, you're going to do a lot better job of this than I ever could. It's your next step. Step off the throne. Invite him. Trust him to step into it instead.